You're listening to the Casting Shadows podcast, an extension of, or sometimes deviation from, material found on the Casting Shadows blog at castingshadowsblog.com. But really is a means of support or a pass behind the curtain or an invitation for conversation stemming from the content on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash RuneSlinger. If you're here by accident and you're not interested in talking about role-playing games, eject now. You'll be happier for it. But if you are interested in role-playing games, then please listen on. This is a bonus episode that I'm appending to episode 3.15 about pulps and pulp gaming, which went into in a lot of detail over a great amount of time some you know practical things about pulp gaming. This is another one of those practical things, but it's meant more as an opener for discussion about certain pulp elements. This particular pulp element, I'll reveal what it is later, but you already know from the title if you read the title, is one of the stumbling blocks that people have when they encounter pulp. There are things like games with metacurrencies, or the way that the dice work, or things like we're going to talk about here in this episode, which make people shy away from trying pulp. It doesn't seem like it will be fun in the way that they already know that they can have fun. And I know this experience from the inside because I've had a lot of these reactions myself. So we're going to open up with calls from Jason. And by the time this is released, there may or may not be other calls to append here. We'll see. But then we'll get directly into the topic. Now, the way I'm feeling right now, I feel like I've taken five minutes of discussion and squeezed it into a 20-minute bag. Hopefully, that's not the case. Anyway, one thing we can all be sure of, it's far, far shorter than the main episode from earlier this week of 3.15, which clocked in at an exciting one hour and 30 minutes. This is not that. But anyway, here's the first call. Jason here. First off, I want to say thank you for the kind thoughts towards my mother. That operation is this week. I'll let you know how that turns out. Um, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, hoping for the best. It's fairly routine procedure, but, you know, she is 73. So, but luckily my work is very accommodating. I'll be able to be there with her, stay at the hospital with her. So that's all plus. As far as your dog, the reason injury, I'm sorry to hear that. One of our previous dogs a few years ago, Coco, had lost the use of her rear legs. And it's very tough. Um, yeah, very tough. So, yeah, I, my heart goes out to you on that. And now I have to leave another call. In the unlikely event that anyone listening to this show hasn't already heard Jason's, he has reported on his own show, Nerds RPG Variety Cast, that the surgery went well. And at the time of his recording, he was looking forward to his mother returning home the following day, which I'm hoping 
took place. And thanks very much for the kind words about Dory, my regular co-pilot in the car. He goes with me pretty much everywhere, and this has been an incredible adjustment. But we got some good news today. I mean, nothing changing about his condition, but he has started to eat on his own. I've been force-feeding him from syringes for two weeks now, and uh, seeing him you know, tear into his food with his old enthusiasm goes a long way to making the other changes bearable. So as far as your actual content of your episode and talking about the pulps and all that, you know, I had forgotten a lot about the spider. I definitely need to dig those books out and reread them. Um, Joe is over a hindsightless is interesting ubiquity. I know Carl at Geomologist Present is as well. So I definitely will try to schedule a game. I've got a number of the free RPG day scenarios for Hollow Earth Expedition. So I'll try to run a game for them. And then I'll reach out to you and see what we can do to schedule a game. I would love to, I very much appreciate the offer and love to take you up on that. I really found a lot of good stuff there in your talk. I've gone back and looked at your blog post from 2010 and I didn't realize your blog went back that far. I'd never gone back, so now I've got a lot of back reading to do. I don't know why I didn't think of troop play. We've been we've talked about troop play on my podcast and other podcasts, not in the not re- too distant past. Last few months, we've talked about troop play for different things, and and recently I've been talking about my ideal game is where, or you know, drop in drop out game is where there's already a set of characters. And people just pick one of those characters and play them that day, which isn't the same as true play. But so I, I don't know why I didn't even think of it for the pulp game, because you're right. It's perfect. It, it really is. I confess, I haven't read the ubiquity books yet, but I think after hearing your podcast, the Hollow Earth Expedition is going to go with me while I sit in the hospital room with my mom. And so I'll dive into that. But lot, this podcast is definitely being saved so I can listen to it again because there's multiple nuggets in there, and it definitely merits multiple listens. Thank you very much for putting it out. Well, thanks for the kind words about the episode. I hope that you know going forward we can talk about some of the ideas that are raised and the things that it makes you remember and, and think of from your own experience uh, playing games. Like I never had the chance to play Daredevils, for example. It's a game that I own now, but it's not one that I've played. And, you know... Uh, you know, that's really my hope for uh, for this podcast and for the YouTube channel and, and for the blog is really to share the way that we actually played and the reactions that we had to it then and the reactions that we're having to it now and, and the tips and tricks that we've learned and the tips and tricks that we've abandoned because they just never worked, but that kind of stuff. That's, that's what this is all about for me. So hopefully we can take that conversation forward and in new directions. As for playing Ubiquity, once you get uh, your chance to experiment with it, really be happy to run it. And so, you know, let's make that happen. This post, I guess I don't really know what else to call it, is a convergence or a linking effort between the ongoing conversation, this podcast, 
and the YouTube channel. Since I fired up the podcast, there have been a lot of direct links to things that have pre-existed on the written blog, or things that were happening on the podcast and the written blog at the same time. But there have been very few connections to what exists on the YouTube channel. So, this time, this post exists both as a YouTube version and a podcast version. It focuses, as I said, a point of convergence because it brings together through one topic, which is a bonus topic for the existing topic on the podcast about pulps and pulp gaming. It brings together three of the systems which mean the most to me and wind up being the bulk of what I post about at the blog, in the podcast, and on the YouTube channel, those being Mithras, Ubiquity, and Fantasy Flight Games, Star Wars. As you can see, the main topic is about, well, it's a combat topic, and it's about minions and mooks and cannon fodder or blade bait or however it is you want to describe a certain classification of opponent, which, according to the system, because of the genre, are easier to defeat. They are there to be defeated in large numbers, and they're there to be defeated because in the source material, which inspires the game that we are playing, we have scenes where these large numbers of opponents, whatever they may be, are met and are defeated. That even en masse, they cannot overcome the hero. They are there really as a proof of concept of the heroic ability of the main character. But in role-playing games, this isn't always satisfying. And that's what this video is about. Not what the rules are for them or you know, how to handle it in game X, Y, or Z, but rather to get into the justification of it, to get into the mood of it and to understand how it connects to genre and hopefully be helpful in making it fun. So, when we go back to early games that rely on, let's say, levels or tiers of opposition, mechanically, this idea has essentially always existed. There are creatures or opponents that are a lower level. They are less of a threat, and so they are more easily defeated. They're still dangerous, of course, and in large groups, they become even more dangerous, particularly if the rule set pays attention to the idea of surrounding an opponent or the numbers of opponents that can be dealt with in a given amount of time or in a given amount of space. But really, the game system, by virtue of the way that game systems work, means that these lower value targets are more easily defeated. When we step away from the notion of using levels as a structure for building characters or creatures or things in the game, 
Then we wind up with a loss of this type of opponent. Right? We can wind up with, while playing starter characters, that all other characters of you know the same species, let's say we're playing human gangsters in 1930, right? So if we make our player characters as human gangsters in 1930, we make an opposing gang of human gangsters in 1930, we'll wind up with characters which are the same. The threat that each poses to each other is equivalent. And so suddenly we wind up not with a bar fight, a thematic and en genre bar fight, we end up with a struggle to the death. We wind up with far more risk or peril than we may want, and we end up with far more risk or peril than suits the genre that we've chosen to play. Minions, mooks, cannon fodder, blade bait, all of these types of characterizations are inherently tied to the emulation of genre, the experience from the player's point of view through the lens of their character of being these types of larger than life characters we are not playing the average joe we are playing pulpy heroic characters and this is demonstrated in the source fiction whatever it may be by the characters high level of fighting prowess or the character being able to notice things that no one else in the room can notice and so on and so forth so how do we deal with the fact that in order to achieve this in a game without levels we end up having to make a whole classification of characters which are by design easy to defeat where this doesn't seem to match up with the rest of the system. It can cause a little bit of discomfort or dissatisfaction. How do we get past this? Well, one of the first ideas I think that's important to grasp is the notion of the intention to produce the intention to adhere to the intention to create the intention to emulate whatever it is that we're going out to do a very specific feel mood or atmosphere a very specific world in which these characters are inhabitants and that if they walk about with the expectation that they are a character like the shadow or doc savage or they're a character like uh famous spies or g-men or you know pro wrestlers or whatever that there's something about them there's something about these wanderers of the waste there's something about these you know bearers of swords versus vile villains who practice sorcery in distant towers there's something about these people that makes them harder makes them more dedicated to makes them more willing or more able to survive the difficult challenges, the dangerous challenges, the deadly challenges of their environment than other people, that they are not average. And this can be an uncomfortable idea for people, the idea that in this game, we are zooming in on a type of person who is above average and that their 
from a player character perspective and from the villain perspective that the stars of the show, as it were, are not average. They are above average. They excel, they exceed, they surpass others. And that the average person is somewhat far below or far behind them. This can be a difficult thing to accept. We might not like it. Further, if we're used to the, the gamble of rolling dice in games, if we're used to the idea of simulating rather than emulating, if we're into the idea of resource management or pitting a dwindling supply of health, vitality, or hits versus another character's dwindling supply of the same, we can feel like it's not much of a game and there's not much reason to, to actually roll through it if the game master is just putting in front of us a bunch of bowling pins to be knocked down. So let's take a look at Ubiquity first. In Ubiquity, we have the notion of style points and style is earned by reinforcing who your character is and what they do and why they do it. Right. So by behaving in a particular style and by doing so enjoyably, according to what the group is trying to do, the group will be awarding style through the game master to the player. They will accrue points of style. An opportunity to do that, an, an opportunity to establish character, which is one of the main reasons to have minions, mooks, cannon fodder, and blade bait. An opportunity to establish character is presented and how we describe our way through this process, how the dice reinforce or offer setback as we go through this process and how we think and interact and react and act during that whole process establishes who that character is, how they go about what they do. And they, it can help build expectation for more of that. But it also arms the player with style to enable more of that, even when the opposition becomes equivalent to the character. Or in the case of you know, a central villain or a, uh, some other kind of large threat, surpasses the capability maybe even of the entire group of player characters grouped together. So without getting into scripting one scene leading into another scene, without getting into establishing a full flow of an adventure, we can still wind up with that same experience of that in-character enjoyment of these above average characters through the use of these different tiers of ability. In a sense, we are adding levels in where no levels really were to be found or we're making it more explicit. We do this for the purpose of genre. Now in a game like Mithras, in a system that operates like Mithras, it can be surprising to consider the idea that there might be this kind of rule and in Mithras. These are referred to as rabble and underlings. And these are two distinct classes of minion or mook level character. The rabble being at the very bottom and underlings being those, you know, lower tier servants of your opposition who 
even in a group, even massed together in a group, you can be fairly sure you can overcome. Now, Mithras being Mithras, there is perhaps more doubt that you can overcome a number of these characters. And you still have to manage your resources character uh, carefully, your action points, and make sure that you are you know, paying attention carefully to what's happening from the other side, what kind of attacks are being launched in your direction. But like with Ubiquity, and like with Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars, what we end up with, with this tool of genre support, we end up with specific rules that outline a course of behavior. Now, the, the rules in Mithras, Mithras being Mithras, are far clearer than what we would find in the Ubiquity game. In Ubiquity, for example, in uh, All for One Regime Diabolique, we have a small text box, and uh, an aside to the Game Master, that optionally they can add in blade fodder or cannon fodder that will go down with one wound level. Now it describes them there as dying or, or passing into unconsciousness. Of course, the main idea being that they are taken out of the fight. If the player character is trying to kill the fodder, then we can rule that they die. If the player character is unconcerned with the ultimate fate of this lower tier opponent, but just needs to get past them, then we're not in any way bound to killing them off. And it's very much like Star Wars, where we've got hallways filled with blaster fire and we've got stormtroopers armored against such blaster fire and yet they're going down are they dead if so what was the point of them wearing the armor well then we start working our way through what's really going on these characters are being taken out in a way that may or may not be lethal in a way that may or may not lead to unconsciousness which may or may not lead to surrender or playing possum or getting out of the way, right? Either way, the characters move through quickly and what was put before them as opposition no longer is. So in Mithras, we're given specific numbers of that, that shape this idea of the rabble. And we are given very specific guidance into what it means when they are injured and how likely they are to give up the fight and what behavior they might present if they are wounded, such as screaming in pain or begging for mercy, if they receive such significant amounts of damage, they might die in some horrible way. So it's very clear, very helpful guidance into working your way into understanding and accepting rules, which bring this tier of, of character type into the game so that we can help bypass those feelings of, you know, what was the point of this or are, are we wasting time that, that might present themselves with some people in your playgroup? Other people, of course, are going to willingly embrace the opportunity to demonstrate what their character can do and demonstrate it with minimal risk as a character establishing device. Of course, there are dice involved, so minimal risk can sometimes turn around and give you a nasty wound anyway. Now in Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars, we again have a very express and very overt and system-wide uh, embrace of this idea. We have minion level characters, we have uh, rival level characters, and we have nemesis level characters. And this is all part of character design. This is all part 
of identifying who is what and where in the Star Wars universe. We understand uh, the difference and we can see the effect in play, uh, much like we can in Mithras and much like we can in Ubiquity. We can see the effect of play of these different types of characters. The nemesis level character is very likely on par with the whole group. The rival level character is very much like a player character. And the minion level character, well, they're dangerous in groups, but they don't quite have the capabilities of a full-on player character. Now, the justification for all of this is that they don't have it within them. They don't have the drive. They don't have the dedication. They don't have the tenacity or the toughness or the training or the skill or the background or whatever it is that makes sense in your particular game to be able to endure the challenges that the player characters do. So when we think about our own lives and the things that stop us, things that prevent us from doing things, when we think about violence in our own lives and how willing we might be to continue on despite having a broken nose and missing teeth and you know maybe a, a cracked bone in your skull or broken ribs or you've been had the wind knocked out of you how willing are you in that moment to continue on with the fight we can gain insight into this class or this tier of character type we can see that the hero is made of sterner stuff and this is of course a role-playing game where we are taking on the opportunity to embrace abilities which are far beyond the norm in situations which are far beyond the norm with bending or breaking or the complete absence of rules that make our lives possible and survivable so we ourselves may be minions mook cannon fodder and blade blade bait or at least at some point in our lives we might have had an experience where after a a very solid knock or hit or massive disappointment or betrayal or emotional undoing we were unwilling to go on and in that moment we stopped but in that moment the hero would continue and that's the insight that I can offer into these types of rules. So if you're into, you know, playing Mithras using D100, you're, you're expecting a very kind of gritty system that you can bring your real world experience in your martial arts training, your, your professional or amateur sports training. You can bring that too about pain and injury and fatigue, and you can find things in the game that make sense that are pulled from real life experience and then gamified you can still find sense you can still find meaning and underpinning and support for minions mooks cannon fodder and blade bait they're not just easy throwaway opponents that are there to as a, as a puff piece that are there just to have some fun or as an excuse to roll dice they're there to reinforce who these characters really are and what differentiates them from the characters who stay home, the characters who are better suited not to a life of adventure, but to a life of supporting their community, to a life of staying home, staying safe, and helping other people stay home and stay safe and be supported and not go out into the, the darkness of the unexplored world and take great risks and probably not come home again. 
Likewise, in Star Wars, this is a setting that is dealing with very strong opposing poles, good and evil. The truly evil are motivated to snuff out the good, and they're willing to overcome an awful lot of adversary to do so. The very good, likewise, are willing to endure an awful lot of punishment and, and more adversity in order to resist the villainy of the evil. And there are many people who can't be stirred to give a damn about either side, who just want to be left alone, who just want to go about their petty business. These are not the player characters. In Ubiquity, we are, you know, Ubiquity itself is a system, not a game like Mithras. So if we're going into the hollow earth, these types of characters may seem like the average person, but yet they have within them this spark that may help them survive the challenges they face there. In All for One, these are definitely people who are a cut above. They are there to protect the king and queen of an entire nation against assassins and other problems that happen on a day-to-day -day basis, and they're there to do so with their lives. When we look at Leagues of Adventure, these are the explorers. These are the inventors. These are people on the very cutting edge of new discovery, and they are at great risk all the time. They're not someone who dreams of, yeah, well, maybe someday I'll... These are people who cannot stop. They must do it now. They must know. They must discover. They must invent. They must create. They must. They must. They must. And so on and so forth as we move through all the different games in the line. And so to help reinforce that, to build it up, to give players the opportunity to experience it, and also through the contrast of experiencing this, to really enjoy the challenges of meeting their nemesis or meeting the great opposition uh, against which they strive. Minion, Mook, Cannon Fodder, and Blade Bait rules really help the group experience Pulp Heroics. So I hope this short video and episode for the podcast offers something that is helpful. And if it raises more questions than answers, or if you're feeling some kind of opposition to the ideas that I'm raising here, please engage with me in the comments below, engage with me through the means provided via Anchor, and let's explore some ideas for making our gaming more fun. Anyway, until the next... You've been listening to the Casting Shadows podcast. If you'd like to hear more thoughts about role-playing games or read more thoughts about role-playing games, you can find those thoughts by me on castingshadowsblog.com, a WordPress blog, or on YouTube at youtube.com slash runeslinger. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me there at facebook.com slash runeslinger. Regardless, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you'll listen to more episodes, and more than that, I hope you'll interact with me about role-playing games here or in the other places that we've just mentioned.